you ready for some word today, get out your Bibles and uh, find the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, I've been teaching a series called The Living Stones, and that comes directly from this passage, so I want to continue this message, this series. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 Coming to him as to a living stone, that's Jesus, the living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, everybody say, me too, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ. So I think uh, we, we should see the imagery here that, that God is building a house, likening it unto something we can, you know, wrap our minds around with this, this stonemason putting the stones in the proper place to build a beautiful structure, functional, long-lasting structure. He says, spiritually speaking, the Father is doing the same thing. God is building something that is eternal in its Duration, but he's not using physical stones. He's using living stones, all right? He's using his people. And if we recognize that, then we'll understand why he does what he does with us. He puts us in the proper place. I mean, when I say he puts us there, he doesn't force us. Uh, These things are not 100% up to God. He calls us, he speaks to us, gives us his word, he moves us inwardly. We have to yield to him, but then we get in the right place, everything fits. It feels right. It looks good. We, we, are, we are sustainable. We help other people. The eventual structure is strong, enduring, and again, again, useful. So he's building this spiritual house. He's using people. And because of this, we might ask ourselves, what contribution are we giving to God's spiritual house? In what way are we making a difference um, in what God is doing? Okay? Sometimes people think of contributions and they immediately think money because we contribute money. That's only one way to contribute. Okay? There's much more to you than your net worth, than your liquidity. It, there's you. There's you, your mind, your, your uh, gifting. Your ability, what God has graced you to do, put a part of his own self in you so that you can contribute that to the eternal plan that he has. Amen. And so, again, there are abilities that you have that I don't have. God has graced you in certain ways that he hasn't graced everybody. So we recognize that we find our own value, how we're all necessary, and that we all can play a vital role in something that has real true purpose uh, beyond this life. Now, uh, Jesus here is referred to as chosen and precious. He's He's the stone, the living stone, chosen and precious. But I want you to know that the way that the Father refers to Jesus here, he also uses similar language when talking about us. 
you are as well to God very precious. I mean, he, he, he paid the highest price for you. It's not a dollar sum. It was the precious blood of Jesus that he shed for you. That should at least um, reveal to us our value to him, that he gave his own son so we wouldn't be separated from him for all eternity. But we are very valuable to, to God. In fact, if you read just a few verses later in verse 9, It's written here, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So our value to God is notable. He uses these words of chosen, of special, and uh, and that defines you in God's kingdom. Not everyone recognizes it, but we should acknowledge it. I mean, not everyone necessarily likes you, but it doesn't matter because God likes you, and He's right. Yeah, if anyone doesn't like you, they don't know, but they don't know very much. So don't waste your time losing sleep over it. God likes you, and He knows you, and still likes you. That's the amazing thing. <laughs> he knows us completely. He knows, uh, you know. Even failures. I mean, other than things are forgiven, and then he doesn't remember them anymore. But, uh, but he knows where you are, all your thoughts, everything. And he likes us. He calls us chosen, special to him. Praise God. So we're all very valuable in his kingdom. Now, one of the very necessary attributes of a Christian, of a person in a relationship with God that we all must exhibit, it's found in one word. Here's the word. Here's the word of the day. Are you ready? It is availability. Availability. If I'm ever going to be a part of this spiritual house that God is building, be useful in his hands, I must be available. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how gifted you are, how good you are. If you are unavailable, what does it really matter? I mean, have you ever had a friend that had some skills in an area that might be beneficial to you, uh, maybe in your business, maybe just in your home? They were really good at, you know, plumbing or something. And, uh, and they said, hey, I can help you. If you ever need help, just call me. I mean, we're friends, and I'll just, uh, I'll be glad to help you with that. But every time you had a, a, a plumbing issue, every time you, which was probably not very often, but every time you needed someone, you'd call, and he said, wow, sorry, man, I can't. I've got these things going on, and you would understand that if that happened once or twice, but every time you needed them, you called them, and they always had something else going on. How many know their gift, their skill is of no value to you? It's like big whoop-de-doo, you can fix this thing in my house. You're never available when I call. So it would be to me as if you never knew that, or I did never know you. I don't ever want to be that way, one, towards people, but I don't want to be that way with God for sure. I'm gifted. I have abilities. But whenever he needs something done, I'm busy. I've got something going on. Well, it might be better off if someone else had that gift then. Hallelujah. Uh, Many times, people will only use their gifts from God for the advancement of their own lives. 
We recognize, I mean, most of us should recognize that everything we can do is ultimately of him. It's a part of God in us. That's why some of you are so good at, in some areas and not, ever, not everyone is. You have an element of God who's the all in all in you. You have part of his ability working in you. But if we only use that for personal gain, if we only use it for our, to advance our own lives, we're missing the point. The Lord intended for these gifts to be used for eternal purposes, not just this, these few decades that we have on planet Earth. Everybody with me today? Okay. Some people get rich and famous using the gifts of God for their own purpose. And that's fine if you're rich and probably fine if you're famous, but are you using anything for God's eternal purposes? This is what should be noted by us. Whenever we are called upon, are we too busy to be inconvenienced with the needs of others? Isaiah, the prophet who had the big book in the Old Testament, he's called a major prophet in the scriptures. Isaiah had an experience with God. The Lord was showing him great visions. And part of that is Isaiah 6 and verse 8, where it reads, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. That's a famously quoted passage. Many Christians know that. We have it written down, highlighted in our Bibles. But is it really reality for us? That when the Lord says, I need someone, I need this handled, I need this taken care of, that we say, yeah, I'll do it. Or can we honestly and truly commit to the Lord, say, here I am. You need something done? Anything, whatever you need, I'll do it. Send me. I mean, that's quite a commitment, isn't it? You think about it. You mean like any time, like day or night, like any time I'm available? That would be the ideal. That would be the goal, that we are always available for the Lord, and he doesn't have to try to fit into our schedule but we're just ready to say yes to the Lord. I know that uh, uh, sometimes that, bring, that stirs up fear. I mean, you might not acknowledge it right now because you know that would be the wrong answer. But some people genuinely fear being completely committed to God, to being sold out the whole route, available like, like this. Here am I, send me. And the reason for their fear is because of a misconception, a misunderstanding of who God is, okay? In other words, the mentality is, uh, he's going to ask me to do something impossible. He's going to ask me to do something that is going to take away the joy of my life. <laughs> and, uh, or, or, or some think, uh, you know, he's going to have me praying and reading my Bible 24-7. It, it's the mentality that people have of God that he's almost unpleasable, that he always wants a little bit more from you. You can never do enough. Like you hear people say sometimes, uh, well, if, if we were discussing prayer, they would say things like, well, you know, you never really can pray enough. Well, yes, you can. You can totally pray enough. And it's not 24 hours a day. Or if we were talking about reading your Bible or serving in the church or giving, uh, they would say, well, you, you know, you can never really read your Bible enough. You can never really give enough. You can never really serve enough. 
And I'm telling you, that's just wrong. That's not the way God is. He's not some, some unpleasable, you know, dictator, hard driving taskmaster, and you can never make him happy. Sure you can. You can serve God, give him your whole heart and all of your life and still take vacations and still have hobbies and still have a lot of things in your life that you enjoy and like. And it is the blessing of God to enjoy your life. You can do that and also be fully committed and serve him and make yourself available to him. And he's not asking for more than we can give. Well, if I give, commit totally to the Lord, I'm going to, he's going to, I'm going to end up a monk. <laughs> no, you're not. How does that benefit his kingdom? How does that serve the body of Christ? How does that make an impact on the community around us? I'm going to have to take a vow of poverty. Well, that's not a Bible verse. That's a religious idea that people have come up with. It'd be better if you take a vow of prosperity. Amen. Then you can be a blessing everywhere. I vow. <laughs> Lord, I commit to you to be highly blessed so I'm usable in your hand. That's different than being money-minded. I'm not talking about loving money. I'm talking about being highly blessed and a tool in God's hand. So if we have the proper mentality about who God is, his love for us, his, his pleasability, if you will, you can obey him, then, then I think we're more apt to say, yeah, I make myself available to you, Lord, whatever you want. Wide open, blank sheet of paper, I'll do whatever you want, knowing that whatever he wants you to do, he's given you the time to do it, the money to do it, the ability to do it, the mental capacity to do it, the family, your family will stay intact, you'll still be able to live... He knows this is his plan. Everybody okay? All right. So um, uh, it's true that we can please God and, and do enough. There's another prophet in the Old Testament named Samuel. And you might recall 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, two Old Testament books. That's the guy. When Samuel was a kid, uh, he was uh, under the, a previous prophet, um, Eli, and one day, the Lord spoke to Samuel, and this was brand new to him. He had not experienced it before. He's just in his room, and he hears Samuel, Samuel. And he, he's like, what, what's that? So he gets up and goes to Eli and says, what? What do you need? You know, you need something. He says, what? Uh, I didn't call you. Go back to your room. And he goes back, and he hears it again, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up and goes in there, yep, yep, did you call me? Did you need something? And, and Eli says, no, I didn't call you. And he figures out after a, a few times that, that it might be the Lord. <laughs> you might think a prophet would think that early on, but uh, he didn't. And he says, well, next time the Lord calls you, you know, answer him. <laughs> and so it happened just that way. The third time he, the Lord called on him, he actually answered. And this is what it says. In 1 Samuel 3.10, now the Lord came and stood and called as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Is that a good answer? Yeah. Speak for your servant hears. What happened after that? Then the Lord spoke. Then the Lord gave him further instruction. He gave him more information. Did you notice that the Lord didn't give him further information until he responded? The Lord didn't tell him anymore until he said, I'm listening 
Tell me what you want. I'm here. I'm yielded to you. I give place to you. Tell me what you want to do. Is it, is it true that it's still that way? That the Lord may just call our name, and we could say that in different ways. He deals with us, prompts us, but it stops at that, that prompting. It stops at that leading until we give a, a response. When we say, yes, Lord, here I am. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? When we approach it that way, then we get further direction. But if we never respond to his initial calling, it stops there. And some will say, well, I've never sensed the Lord even calling me to do anything or asking me to do anything for him. Well, I'm not so sure that that's a complete, the complete story there. You may not know what because you didn't respond to the initial hi. Hey. And it takes that. This is one of the ways that, that God works. And could it be that some of us lack greater revelation of God's will and plan due to our insufficient response to his initial call? Another guy was Paul or Saul. He was known as Saul. Then he later would go by Paul in the book of Acts. And he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. But his beginning in this, he was, a, of course, a Pharisee. And when people started believing on Jesus, he was highly opposed to that. And he would persecute Christians. And he had that experience uh, one day on the road to Damascus with the bright light and the Lord speaking to him from heaven. And the way that, that Saul responded to the Lord's dealing with him is very enlightening still for us today. It's the same pattern. Okay, it says this in Acts 5, or Acts 9, 5 and 6, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city and it will be told what you must do. Two things that stand out to me in this is first, his immediate inherent knowledge that if God is calling, he has an assignment for him. He has a purpose for his calling him. And I wonder if we sometimes miss that. The Lord deals with us and we just say, ah, the Lord's dealing with me. The Lord said my name. The Lord is present. Oh, I just love the presence of the Lord. Instead of going, taking it a step further and saying, Lord, wow, you're, you're here. Whew. Wow, you're dealing with me. Is there something you want me to do? Or what do you want me to do? But this is something we ought to get for all of us. God wants us to do something. Not do something in order to be saved, but once we're saved, to do something for him. It is a part of his overall plan that we be activated in his, in his purposes. Paul knew that. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And this is interesting. Uh, I wonder if he would have even gotten that much if he didn't respond when the Lord said, Saul, Saul. And if he didn't respond to him, maybe that's where it would have ended. Hey, Lord, and then kept on going his way, got up, brushed himself off, and went on with his life. Instead of, hey, Lord, what's up? What's next? 
And then the Lord spoke to him. And when he spoke to him, he didn't give him the, the full and complete plan, did he? He didn't say, Saul, I've called you to be a great apostle. And I've called you to do this, 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 and this. And you're going to write you're going to write a good portion of the Bible. And you're going to, no, no, no. He said, go into the city. And then I'll tell, I'll tell you more. God is still doing that. If some are not getting further instruction, you have to ask, did they go into the city? Or are they saying, Lord, lay it out for me and then I'll decide. By the way, what are we going to do in the city anyway? I mean, they got any good restaurants there? What's uh, where am I going to stay? Give me some details here and so I can, you know, make a good quality decision. No. When the Lord deals with you, you just start with, yes, heading out today, heading into the city. What do you want me to do? Well, he's going to let me know when I get there. That's the proper response. That's the availability he seeks and trust in him that he has got the plan figured out. Praise God. If you ever think of yourself and think, well, the Lord has called me to something grand, something greater. Many times people have to start by making themselves available to do something lesser before they'll ever get to the greater. Paul had to respond to the Lord verbally. Then he had to respond by going into the city, and then further instruction kept coming. So I'm called to a great worldwide ministry. Great. Why don't you help us vacuum the carpet? And maybe the Lord will say, yep, I can use them because they weren't too busy. Everybody okay? One of the problems we have is been consistent throughout human history. It's, you know, many things are still the same as they've always been. And uh, one of the problems we have is the, is the word um, excuse. We often have excuses for why we can't do something. And I'm not a big fan of can't, meaning the language of can't. Uh, I, I don't want to think I can't. I don't like to say I can't. I don't like to say I can't afford it. I don't like to use that verbiage because I'm thinking if this is what I'm supposed to do, then can is the correct word. Can, by God's grace, by his power, with his supply, I can do it. All right. So if you're, if you're kind of negative and this is impossible, we can't do this, if that comes out of your mouth too much, I would encourage you to you know, slap yourself <laughs> occasionally and say, stop saying that. Your tongue is controlling your life. Start saying, I can, I will. Because if it's God, again, the ability is going to be there. The strength is going to be there. The time is going to be there. The finances are going to be there. The support is going to be there. The friends, the connections you need are going to be there. Amen. In the will of God, everything is supplied. That's the very foundation of our obedience. It's going to work out in God's plan. If I say no and do my own thing, now I'm on shaky ground. And so excuses. If you're familiar with very many Bible uh, characters, then you, you might know some of these stories. But it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. Immediately the Lord came and said, hey guys, what's up? Did you eat of the fruit? And Adam said, this woman that you gave me, <laughs> she gave the fruit to me. And he says, Eve, the serpent, the serpent uh, made me do it. He blamed, she blamed it on the devil. 
All right? So don't blame it on your spouse. No excuses with the spouse. No excuses with the devil. Uh, but that's how Adam and Eve started. Then Moses came along. Remember, God called him to go speak to Pharaoh. And he said, I am not eloquent. I can't do it, Lord, because I'm not a good talker. I'm not eloquent. Aaron, uh, when he, Aaron molded that golden calf that Israel worshipped in the wilderness, that Mount Sinai there. And the Lord uh, came to him and Moses came to him. What did, what, did, what did Aaron say? He said, the people are set on evil. I did this for them. They made me do this. He had an excuse to why he was doing wrong. Uh, the angel came, came to Gideon one day, said, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. He's gonna, you're going to deliver Israel. And, and Gideon had some excuses. He said, his excuse was, my family is poor. And I am the least in my family. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough money. That was his excuse. Elijah was raising up his replacement, Elisha, right? And what did Elisha say when, he, when Elijah talked to him? He said, he said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. I've got some family things to take care of first. I'll get around to this. I'll be there, but let me do all this stuff first. Naaman, who was, the, who was a Syrian uh, uh, commander of the Syrian army had leprosy, went to Israel to the prophet. He was told to dip in the Jordan River seven times, and he said, We've got way better rivers in Damascus. He had a better idea. He had an excuse why he shouldn't do what the Lord was saying. Jeremiah, the prophet, he said, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. In the New Testament, when Paul was standing before Felix, the governor, on trial, and Paul was presenting a very compelling case for Felix to get saved. And, uh, and Felix said, when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. I'm going to get to you later. And there were others that make excuses. And I, pr I probably would say probably many, many of us have also made excuses. Most of these that I, let, I read to you in this list, uh, they got their act together and they, they followed. And they changed and they did what the Lord went called them to do, and there were great results because of it. But that is no guarantee. To my knowledge, Felix never had time. And he's a, he's, he didn't make heaven, right? And, uh, but I don't want it to be in my situation. The Lord calls me, and I'm busy. The Lord calls me, and I've got a reason. I'm not rich enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm, I'm not eloquent enough or whatever. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this or that. I've got other responsibilities, we all, have, we all can say that, but does God know what he's doing? One, he's calling. Two, he has a plan. He has something for everyone to do. And that very knowledge tells us that we can do it. If we don't have enough money, he'll give us the money. If we don't have enough time, he'll, he'll grace our schedule. Amen. You know, many people, I'm not talking to you probably, but many people don't come to church. Because they say, well, Sunday's my only day off. Well, you know, from a natural standpoint, you say, okay, I understand that. But when you know God, you say, you are, re you are removing God from your time. You're removing God from your schedule. You are valuing your couple of hours above his plan, and you're going to continue to be so busy, working so much and doing everything that you don't have any time to relax. Relax. 
until you put God first. Remember, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Not you add them to yourself, and if you have time, squeeze the kingdom in there. If you believe God for salvation and eternal life and believe Jesus died for your sins and you're saved, you might want to just take him up on the rest of what he says, too. <laughs> Is this too stiff today? Is this a little t- too in your face? I realize it's almost Christmas and we're supposed to be extra nice, but uh, I consider this to be real nice. (laughs) This is the love of God to tell us how things really work. Praise God. Would you go to Luke chapter 14? Let me show you one more passage. Jesus addressed this subject by telling a story of this great supper, this great banquet in Luke chapter 14. Notice with me verse 16, we'll read part of it. Uh, And he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, is that understandable? I mean, certainly ground has to be seen. Right? And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Got some new animals. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. You get that, right? If you get married, you can't do anything else. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I have married a wife. I cannot come. Oh, okay, yeah. Just be excused then, of course. You have a wife. I mean, that's hard. <laughs> we could add to it. Some will say, I have kids. Some people, oh, oh, you have children. And you're probably one of the first ones to ever have that. <laughs> certainly, certainly you can't do two things, have kids and be a Christian. And respond to the Lord. And he probably doesn't know you have them either. Right? When he deals with you, he doesn't know you have oxen, land, kids, a wife. Or does he know? Might there be provision to do everything we're supposed to do and still have time left over to to breathe, to smile, to enjoy his blessings? Yeah. You know, the Lord is not helped at all if we're miserable. If obeying him made us miserable, how does that serve his, his eternal purpose? To where those who don't know him look at us with sour faces. Just serving God. <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't you run? If you, knew, if you knew that, you know, a high percentage of people within a certain group or belief system were all depressed, you would say, yeah, I don't know if you guys have the truth. Or if, you know, a a doctor told a friend of mine about a particular religion, he said, he he told him, he said, 90% of the women in that religion are on antidepressants. It's something you've heard of around here. That's what a doctor told him. You got to say, something's off here. 
Something's not right. There's a freedom missing. There's a joy missing here. If what we're doing, if we are really serving God and we're all depressed about it, hallelujah. Anyway, these people had all their excuses, so they didn't want to go. And the Lord basically, you read the rest. He said, replace them. Get somebody else to take their place. I don't want to be replaced. You know, I don't know if I replaced anyone, but I know I don't want to be replaced. Meaning, did the Lord have someone else in mind to do what I'm doing? And they said, no, 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 no. And finally, I said, yes. I know that's possible. He hasn't revealed that to me. But uh, if you've ever heard of the, the minister, uh, Catherine Kuhlman, from years back, she had a great healing ministry and evangelistic ministry. And, and, I, and apparently, she would say that the Lord told her he dealt with five other people before her. And they all said no. They didn't have time. They had excuses why they couldn't do that ministry. And so he used her. I guess she didn't feel too bad about being God's sixth choice. But I will tell you this. She's the one being rewarded. She got to be a part of his amazing plan is in heaven now enjoying the benefits, the fruit of her labor and the, the, the rewards from God. But how many times does God have to skip over us because they're busy? They've got animals. They've got family. They've got land. They've got all these things. Let's go down the row. Let's see if we can find someone else to do their job. Jude, you know, the book of Jude, he was, it's a real short book, but he was describing different people who had infiltrated and come in. And uh, he said about, um, he said many not kind things about them. (laughs) <laughs> truthful things though. He said they, they turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, things like that. And, and, then, and then one of the things he said about uh, these people is in Jude 12, he said, these are spots on, in your love feasts. They, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. So he characterized them many ways and one of them was they just serve themselves. I thought, yikes, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just be in all this just for me. This is what I want. This is what I like. This is what I have time for. Me, 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 me. Instead of, it's all about you. (laughs) Meaning, it's all about the Lord and his purpose, his plan. And from there, it flows to it's about other people's needs. Praise God. Let me finish with this. It is a sad commentary today that in many churches... I think we're much better than this. I'm so thankful, meaning our house. But in many churches, they exist, they survive, they function on about 20% of the effort. 20% of the people are actually living stones, useful in God's hands, available to him to use. Because of this, projects go undone, outreaches are limited, finances barely cover, And people have really in our day forgotten what it really means to serve God. It's just all about what I can get, the perks, the benefits. And don't get me wrong, that's a part of salvation, but that's not the only part. They live for themselves. They won't be inconvenienced for the work of God. And they have so many excuses. Meanwhile, the clock keeps ticking. Time keeps Going on, years pass, and they never find any time to serve. And they're not following the, mo- the role model of Samuel, of Isaiah, of, of Paul, saying, here am I, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
What do you want to say? And I want to encourage you to have that heart. What he tells you to do is not up to me. That's between you and the Lord. But have, a, have an availability, would you? Have an availability to him. Get, get, do business with him and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to trust you by saying, I'm available to you. I'm available to you to do whatever you want me to do. Amen? That's the will of God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Hey, let me, uh, let, I want to put this out for you like I've been doing in this series. Um, uh, if you would like to get involved in some of our ministries and activities around here, uh, there's a spot for you. I want you to know that. If you think, well, everything's just running like a clock here, there's a spot for you because in God, there's a spot for everybody. And, uh, and so if you'd like to get involved here, you, that's one way you can do it is text serve to that number. You'll get a list of opportunities of things you can be involved in, things you can uh, potentially help with. Take a look at it. Pray about it. Look at it. Ask questions. We're here for you. We're family. We love you. It's not like you have a narrow window to get involved, but a lot of times people put it off, and then it's six months later, it's a year later, and they've never done anything. So we also have Discover Life Part 2 happening right after the service. And it comes with bribery food. <laughs> now it comes with food. You're welcome to go to the Discover Life in the event center behind me. And, uh, and you can, that way you can talk to real people and awesome people and uh, ask, answer questions for you and, and help you to get in the middle of God's plan for your life. Amen. God is good. He's so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pray with me for a moment. Father, thank you for working in here for working in our midst, working in our lives. You're so good to us. You're so faithful. We surrender our lives to your will and plan. We commit our lives to your purpose and calling. We make ourselves available for your divine purposes so we can be a part of something eternal and everlasting, something that matters. Use us as you choose. We offer ourselves vessels you can use. All the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all the thanksgiving to you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord most high. Praise God.